This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter, a brutal, needless war. A war chosen by one man. A nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. But what if it does happen? That was, uh, of course, President Joe Biden addressing the United Nations, where he basically accused Russia of making reckless and irresponsible threats. And it was in response to Putin calling 300,000 reserves up and going on state TV where he said, He's got nukes and will use them, and he's not bluffing. He also secretly approved a law that will send a further one million men to fight in Ukraine. That is new today. And on the call for more troops to be sent in, Russians then bought up every ticket they could to get out of the country, or they were looking for ways to break their bones. That was the number one Google search in Russia. That's how little people want to go and fight in a Russian war. Uh, against Ukraine. President Zelensky, meanwhile, addressed the United Nations as well on Wednesday, demanding that NATO threaten Russia with the same kind of nuclear threat should he drop anything on Ukraine. I mean, if it's a bluff by Putin, who knows? But if this guy's losing the war, and he is, and he's now losing his country's support, there is no telling what this dictator will do. Let me bring in Dr. Erica Simpson to the conversation, an associate professor of international politics at Western University. And um, I appreciate your time on this, Professor. Thank you. You're welcome. You also authored of NATO and the bomb. Did I get that right? The president of the yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've All written right, a so lot you know on the... NATO. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, there you go. So, so you're the perfect person who can uh, can can kind of tell us about this. But let me start. I mean, if 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 a, Mr. Putin says he's not bluffing, I mean, he's not winning. But this makes him much more dangerous. Yeah, he seems to feel maligned and cornered, kind of like a rat. And that's why we have to worry, because uh, any leader that feels threatened like that and starts to make nuclear threats, he also has claimed that there were terrorist attacks inside Russia, and he made that claim last week in, in Uzbekistan. But there's no evidence of that. So he is making unfounded claims that he is being that Russia is being attacked. Yeah, and so yeah. false flag. You know, he, he's looking yeah, for the excuse. False but the other flag, troubling, that's right. yeah, the other troubling thing though that's supposed to say, uh, take place in the next couple of days is this possible referenda uh, mm-hmm. of Luhansk, Donetsk, and these other two provinces, um, mm-hmm. which would then allow Russia to take over these these Ukrainian uh, states or provinces and then use any force. Which he says, if you attack us, I will defend. That would be Russian territory, and so. We're into some really um, murky waters here. Yeah, we are. Uh, the referenda will be conducted in a war zone where there's no electricity. I'm not sure how they're going to get people to vote. But remember that in the Crimean Peninsula, they did the same kind of referendum with a 99% turnout, and then they claimed they annexed that part of Ukraine. So this is par for course. The problem then is, just as you mentioned, that the Russians could interpret an attack 
on the areas of Dunetsk and Luhansk, Kherson and Zabritska, and they could interpret that attack as an attack on Russian territory itself. And as you mentioned, then they could use forces that they call self-defense forces, which might include nuclear forces. So they've been very clear that uh, the encroachment on the territory of Russia is a crime and that they are allowed to use all the forces of self-defense, which we know means uh, possibly nuclear forces or even chemical weapons. So that's why President Biden was speaking last week. He also was very concerned about the use of tactical and chemical weapons and how that would change the face of war unlike anything since World War II. So President Biden spoke at the UN General Assembly yesterday, and he's arguing that this attack by Russia on a sovereign country, a member of the United Nations undermines world security, which it does. The problem there, then, is is NATO ready? I mean, yes, um, Ukraine has has fought the most admirable fight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, NATO has pulled together and very united, but uh, we have to have a plan. And I, and I think a lot of people are wondering, well, what if this does happen? Like, what happens then? Yeah, if there was the tactical use of, uh, like, let's say that he decided to use a demonstration uh, shot or some kind of a demonstration, let's say, in the Arctic to show that he was serious, then would that Which involve you could do. NATO? They're very well prepared up there. Yeah, They are, yeah. and they are, they're, they're highly mobilized in, 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 the, in the Arctic. Everyone is making threats right now. You mentioned President Zelensky is making threats. President Zelensky has called for Russia to lose its permanent seat at the U.N., and the UN Permanent Security Council, so that's serious. It seems like to me that everyone is making threats that are not that credible. That the, the, whether Russia would actually use a nuclear weapon and and escalate up the ladder is not certain. So the NATO allies are taking it not easy, but they're certainly not saying that they would attack uh, on Ukrainian soil. Ukraine is a partner, but not a NATO ally. So there's 30 NATO allies, but Ukraine is definitely a partner. And that means that it's not protected by Article 5, which is uh, part of the Washington Treaty going back to 1949. And that's the idea that an attack against one of us is an attack against us all. And that does not protect Ukraine, as you know, because Ukraine is not being protected except for with billions and billions of dollars of weapons. So that is what President Putin is concerned about, is that billions of dollars of weapons are are being used, and he's obviously thinking he's starting to lose. Yeah. Uh, whether he, you know, the mobilization will take a few months, it could take up to a year, and then he oh, will have a huge army, um, but they won't be trained for many months, and so that gives Ukraine plenty of time to continue to take back territory in the northeast. They took back a thousand square miles there, and it gives Ukraine plenty of time to possibly move forward with more and more weapons provided by the United States and the other NATO allies. So there's going to be more heavy casualties and, and logistical problems. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out we're going into a cold, cold season. Uh, Ukraine makes Canada look balmy uh, in the winter, but uh, it makes uh, mm-hmm. fighting uh, very, very difficult, especially with these energy issues and the fact that uh, Putin has weaponized yeah. his energy. But the other thing that he faces, Doctor, is that he Putin is losing support at home when you've got Russians en masse buying up every flight ticket to get out and you've got people mm-hmm. trying to break their bones because they don't want to go into the military. And then you see all these mass protests in the street. Yeah. Um, you know, Putin is not just losing, uh, you know, the war per se and or in the international community, but he's losing at home. 
Yeah, I mean, he, they have even admitted that they're using the Wagner Group, which they had denied until recently. Um, they're using that mercenary group to enroll convicts from prisons into the into the military. So I'm not sure if I would want to serve with uh, other convicts, <laughs> but they certainly have a lot of weapons, but not enough military personnel and not enough cannon fodder. And so he is going to face the situation. Up till now, it hasn't changed much in the Russian cities. People are certainly uh, not suffering. Um, it's a special military operation, but now I think yesterday changed the tone, and you'll see that more and more Russians behind the scenes will be protesting. But obviously, it's a military dictatorship, and they cannot protest on the streets. They are arrested, um, unlike in, in the West. And so in the long run, I'm not sure, will Putin be pushed from power? Then the risk is an ultra-nationalist comes to power. And he right, controls right. the um, the nuclear weapons that are that could proliferate. Then there might be more chaos than now. Um, so that's that's the risk that we face too: is is a, a chaos in Russia, and then the proliferation of their um, tactical and uh, strategic weapons in, in situations where the command and control and intelligence is much weaker than it is in the United States. So that's what I'm worried about: is a, a long term situation of a possible accidental limited nuclear use. Yeah, yeah, there, there are so many uh, what ifs. But I think like the takeaway to your point is that uh, I think people are thinking, well, this will happen tomorrow or the next day. Th- this is mm-hmm. going to dig in for quite a while. It's not like he's going to drop a new mm-hmm. bomb tomorrow. Or maybe he will. I don't know. We could be wrong. But the bottom line yeah. is uh, he's digging in for the long game. I think it's unlikely that he would use nuclear weapons, but then unlikely events happen all the time yeah. in the world. And so we can we can say that it's a 1% or a 10% chance. We don't know. But it's that tiny chance that is concerning, and that means we really need to take action in Canada at the UN and also at NATO and ask for negotiations and ask for um, more discussions. I'm a firm believer in trying to talk to your adversary, talk to your enemy, and try to to uh, negotiate. So that's what the French are doing, Macron and the Turks are doing, but Canada could do something as well. Yeah, I'm not sure any of those discussions would change the tone and or the end game, but nonetheless, nonetheless, nonetheless a yeah. very volatile time in the world outside. Uh, so I appreciate I'm hoping at the funeral of Queen Elizabeth that there were discussions among world leaders yeah. behind the scenes. That's often what happens when Gorbachev died. There, There's always discussions when people of great impact uh, die. And so, um, you know, when Henry Kissinger dies, he's 99, I'm sure that there will be discussions. And so that's where a lot of work gets done, not at the official NATO summit meetings and at the UN, but behind the scenes, that's where world leaders can maybe try to figure out what to do. I'm hoping. Well, we had a lot of, I, I am hoping too. I, I, I mean, there were a lot of elder statesmen, certainly all our former prime ministers were there. Hopefully they were meeting behind the scenes. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that happened, but I guess time will tell. Appreciate your time, doctor. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You as well. That's Dr. Erica Simpson, who joins us from Western University, also author of the book NATO and the Bombs. So it is something to watch. There's a lot of geopolitical issues that you think, well, that's happening over there, but they are very much impacting us here. They all play into all of our daily lives. And so I don't want to ignore those because they're very, very consequential.